Let's pray together and let's get right into what God has for us. Lord, we just pray this morning that you would speak to us and with us, that you would penetrate our thoughts, hearts, and minds in a way that only you can do. Holy Spirit, we invite you to do your work in us and to do your work through us. We pray that this would not stay as a mere message, but that it would have an effect and that it would empower us so that we can be edified as a community together today to go out and do your work with you wherever you call us to do so. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. When Ben gave me the theme, which is this one, I did not fully realize at that time how exceptionally brilliant this theme is, but I think I'm starting to realize it now. Uh, let me honor Ben here for a moment. It is not an easy thing to distill a theme that is this good. There's something absolutely brilliant about this theme, and I'll say why in a short while. But it takes a lot of meditation, a lot of prayer, a lot of listening to God to get it this good. So you need, to, you need to understand that there's something brilliant about the theme that you've been busy with over the last few weeks. So Ben, well done, mate. You've just absolutely nailed it. You know, this is God's heart. Yesterday I had a meeting at Tabor, yesterday afternoon, ACAL, Australian Coalition of Apostolic Leaders, and I had to deliver a message there. And as I prepared this message, God birthed something in my heart about this is not just a message for Burnside Family Church at this stage. It's actually a message for the kingdom of God. And it's a profound message. So I delivered it there as well. Now these are, are Christian leaders from across Adelaide and South Australia. And it was powerful in what God did with this in their life. So there's something deeper here. It's a mathematical formula, or that's how I wrote it down there. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. But just to have a look at it again, so Jesus means, the name Jesus means God's safe. Now, in, in algebra, if you use that as a formula, I had a lot of fun with this formula. It really got into my head. Uh, Jesus plus the fact that the, the Christ part of Jesus Christ means God with us. So God saves and multiplied by God with us gives you something that you cannot compare to anything on this earth. You, you get this formula? Wow, that, I didn't realize that in that way before, but really it's a multiplication factor there that is out of this world. That's why this is incomparable. Because God saves and God with us multiplied gives you something that gets together in Jesus that you, there's just no comparison. Plus, nothing equals everything, infinite, you know, immeasurable. Now, we know that mathematical formulas, of course, are immutable and irrefutable. Or that's how I feel about this one. It actually boils down to Jesus Christ is everything. So why then do we say plus nothing is everything? Can we not take out the part that says plus nothing? No, we cannot, because often in mathematical formulas, you state what should absolutely also be considered. In other words, if we don't put in there plus nothing equals everything, it means we do not address the natural human tendency to gravitate towards adding something else to Jesus 
for salvation. So in other words, we have to put it in the formula to negate that gravitation. That's why this is such an incredibly brilliant formula and theme. Do you start to see? I've had about two days of fun with this already. And it's just beginning, I think. So there is the theme, Jesus plus nothing equals everything. That's what we're going to talk about this, uh, this morning. And I'm going to take you to the end of Galatians in a short while, just to go into it. So by now, I, I assume you've heard a number of messages on Galatians. Uh, you understand the basic message. Most of you have heard that. However, allow me to just summarize it for a moment again. So this is the basic message of Galatians. Salvation does not equal faith in Jesus plus something else. Adherence to the law, rules, policies, laws, or adherence to Jewish customs, or whatever else we can think of. Now that whatever else is an open-ended thing, because I do think there's a natural human gravitation to add something. Because the moment I can add something to the formula, I gain control, and it's in my power to do it or not. It makes it a much more comfortable space and place. Which is why most religions in the world does exactly that. Because it gives people control. Whereas God's idea is, it's out of your control, the only thing you can control is saying yes or no. The work is mine. It's like childbirth. The only element of, of involvement that the baby has is to secrete that hormone that puts the mother into labor. The baby says it's time. The mother does all the work. Same kind of thing. So rather, salvation equals faith in Jesus alone, which was Paul's message all throughout, right from the moment of his own conversion on the road to Damascus. From that moment on, he had an utter conviction. He never wavered from that message. In spite of so many other competing demands or or voices in his environment. Now remember, one of them was Peter at one stage. In the church in Jerusalem, Peter was the head moncho there. He, He was just the man. They were in a fight about this. Because even Peter at that time, even though he journeyed with Jesus, didn't always fully get it. You know, he always had this thing about being a Jew and Jewish custom, you know, was in there somewhere. So even Peter had to grow in this, in spite of the fact that he spent all that time with Jesus. You see the natural human gravitation. So how does it all work? Because Surely the law is not bad. It's not, it has to be helpful as well. Otherwise, why is it in the Bible? And even Peter himself in Romans 6 to 8 talks about the law. And he, he clearly says there that the law is not bad. The law has benefit and it is good. But how does it work? How does all of this work? So I'm, what I would like to do this morning is just play a little bit with all of this and show you by means of those two devices. I'm going to use an interview Uh, This has not been prepped. The only prep is I want the interviewee that I'm going to interview her, which in this case is going to be Ruvon. She had a lucky escape (laughs) because because he's slightly unwell and he has a bit of fever, and I'm uh, you know that raises the element of risk for me in an interview to two higher levels. (laughs) I'm going to do that. So I'm going to interview Ruvon. Thank you so much for that. That's awesome. Uh, And then there's some explanations that I want to use as we go into this. But before we get there, just a little bit of background. Three things about the book of Galatians. 
that I think is important to remind ourselves about. The first one is Galatians is a letter. So all letters in the Bible are written for specific reasons in a specific situation. So they're situational. And the reason why Galatians was written was because after Paul established everything there and, and shared the gospel with them and they accepted it, others came in and gave them a different message and they start wavering the, in their faith. They started adding all these other things. It's almost, and the other people did it for interesting reasons. They did it because they wanted to escape all kinds of persecution, because they wanted to be seen as their message is strong. And, you know, these, they convinced these guys with good reason and things like that. Uh, and so Paul heard about this and he goes, what? You guys, I gave you the pure, unadulterated gospel, and now you're diluting it with all kinds of other nonsense. You're actually messing it up. Because if you put that into your mathematical formula, it doesn't work at all. It's like Pythagoras is now messed up because it's, it's got an element in it that skews the whole formula. And that is, you're adding stuff. You're adding the law. You're adding Jewish customs. I mean, this thing about persecution, those people who came in after Paul, remember what happened when you came to faith in Christ during those times, you were ostracized. You, in some cases, to the extent where you cannot buy food in the village where you live. So if they could say, no, 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 we're still adhering to Jewish customs. We're still doing the circumcision thing and a few other Jewish customs. Then they could escape this ostracization. And that's how they would sidestep the persecution. So that uh, you know, it make it a little bit more comfortable in the village where they live. If they added a few things. Paul says, why do you do this? Don't do that. It's not enough. It's not good enough. It works with a broader understanding of salvation in the background. That's the second thing we need to know about Hebrews, uh, about Galatians. So, salvation has three elements to it, really. The one is past tense, then present tense, and then future tense. Past tense is justification. When you look back, that's the moment when you came to faith, when God declared you to be righteous. In other words, where God really literally took us and put us in the right position towards Himself. The right relationship with Him. That's justification. Once and for all, past tense, done. Sanctification is something else. That's present tense. That's also part of salvation. So, present tense, we are growing to become everything God has already made us to be. We are spiritually growing. And then future tense regarding salvation is this thing that we call glorification. Where God will make us absolutely holy one day in heaven. You know, that kind of notion and idea. So another way to say it is, the one declared saved back then, you know, past tense, justification is being saved, present tense, sanctification, and will eventually experience the culmination of that salvation, the, the total fulfillment of that salvation into holiness, which God does, which is glorification. So that's the second thing you have to understand. So then the third thing is it works with the people used to legalism even when they did not always know it was so. And I think in that sense, the Jewish people were very much like us in Australia. We are such a compliance-driven 
rules and laws and regulations driven organization or, or, or nation. They were the same. I mean, the Pharisees took two laws and made them 633. That's, that's reasonably impressive right there. And they were really good at it. Um, just imagine what they would have done if they had the whole Bible, how many laws they would have had then. <laughs> you know, I'm very glad they didn't because uh, it would have been messed up. Now, I'm just going to show you something. I won't show it now. Show it a little bit later. At this point, I think with those three things in the background, remember that always works in the background when you read Galatians. It's all against that background that Paul is writing this letter that is for that situation that says, look, you guys, this is, this is a bit serious. Now, the letter itself is heavy. It's emotional. It's a pull-no-punches kind of letter. I mean, Paul is not pulling any punches here. If you really read it through a few times, man, it, it raises the hair at the back of your neck. That kind of thing. So it's quite heavy. Let's take a look at the specific passage for today. And there it is. I'm just going to read it as well. Out of the NIV, I want to read this through three times in three different translations because every one of them adds something to it. And I want you to just let the text wash over you for a moment. The text that we're working with today. So, so like a wave going onto a beach, I want, uh, I want to invite you to allow this text to wash over you. When the wave pulls back, something will remain behind. I don't know what that is. God knows. So let that happen in your life right now. See what large, large letters I use as I write to you with my own hand. Those who want to impress people by means of the flesh, laws, all these things, are trying to compel you to be circumcised. The only reason they do this is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. Not even those who are circumcised keep the law. Yet they want you to be circumcised so that they may boast about your circumcision in the flesh. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What's, what counts is the new creation. Peace and mercy to all who follow this rule, to the, to the Israel of God, not to Israel. To the Israel of God, the chosen people of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you, uh, with your spirit, brothers and sisters. Amen. Let's go into the message. Quite interesting. Now, in these last sentences, I want to emphasize... That's why he writes in his own hand. In the bold scrolls of my personal handwriting, the immense importance of what I've written to you. These people who are attempting to force the ways of circumcision on you have only one motive. They want an easy way to look good before others. Lacking the courage to live by a faith that shares Christ's suffering and death. In other words, this whole thing of ostracization and persecution, you know, that sharing in Christ's suffering and death in their midst. All they talk about the law is gas. I particularly like that part. I don't know why. They themselves don't keep the law, and they are highly selective in the laws they do observe. They only want you to be circumcised so that they can boast of their success in recruiting you to their side. That's contemptible. For my part, I'm going to boast about nothing but the cross of our master, Jesus Christ. This um, our master, Jesus, is the curious, the Lord, master, the boss. That, that's, in, 
in Paul's mind when he says that. Because of that cross, I have been crucified in relation to the world, set free from the stifling atmosphere of pleasing others and fitting into the life patterns that they dictate. Can't you see the central issue in all of this? It's not what you and I do. Submit to circumcision or reject circumcision or add whatever other law, whatever other thing. It is what God is doing and He is creating something totally new, a free life. All who walk by this standard are the true Israel of God, His chosen people. Peace and mercy on them. See, it's starting to open up. Let it wash over you. Let's do it a third time. Well, let's just finish with this one. Still message. Quite frankly, I don't want to be bothered anymore by these disputes. You see why I'm saying this is quite heavy-handed. <laughs> Paul is just, he's not pulling punches. I have far more important things to do. The serious living of this faith. Man, you guys are wasting my time. I bury my body, scars from my service to Jesus. Now, Beck talked this morning about scars. Yeah. Very interesting. May what our master Jesus Christ gives freely be deeply and personally yours, my friend. Gives freely. May that deeply and personally be yours. Let's go into the Amplified. See with what large letters I'm writing to you with my own hand. Those who want to make a good impression in public before the Jews try to compel you to be circumcised just so that they will escape being persecuted for faithfulness to the cross of Jesus. For even the circumcised Jews themselves do not really keep the law, but they want to have you circumcised so that they may boast in your flesh, that is, in the fact that they convince you to be circumcised. But far be it from me to boast in anything or anyone except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom the world hath been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither in circumcision... And neither is circumcision anything of any importance, nor uncircumcision, but only a new creation which is the result of a new birth, a spiritual transformation, a new nature in Christ Jesus. Peace and mercy be upon all who walk by this rule, who discipline themselves and conduct their lives by this principle, and upon the true Israel of God, Jewish believers. From now on, let no one trouble me by making it necessary for me to justify my authority as an apostle. He starts the whole Galatians by justifying, look you guys, I brought you as, a, as an apostle of Jesus the real gospel. These other guys with the other gospel are trying to discount what I told you. I am an apostle of Jesus. Listen. <laughs> and that's his, his defending his authority in the beginning. And the absolute truth of the gospel, for I bear on my body the branding marks of Jesus, the wounds, scars, and other outward evidences of persecution. These testify to his ownership of me. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you, with your spirit, my brothers and sisters. Amen. It's an amazing text right there. Especially if you think about the whole of Galatians that's lying in the background here. It's an incredible thing. Now I want to go into this risky interview. So may I invite said interviewee to come and join me right here. I've got a few uh, well-prepared and thought-out questions for said interviewing. So first and foremost, thank you, Vonis, for being willing to do this. You're welcome. I didn't really have any choice, but that's yeah, okay. That, that is true. That's true. It was, uh, you know, her next driving opportunity was dependent on this. <laughs> I think that was it. Okay, now, just a few questions, and it's to help a little bit with the sermon. But no pressure. I mean, answer as, as you believe God wants you to answer. 
Oh, there's a lot of pressure right there. <laughs> okay, now, I want you to think about your life and what would help you to do life well for a moment. What would you prefer? A list of 100 rules about how to do life well? Or that you have to obey? Or, or that I help you with advice whenever you need it? What would you prefer and why? Definitely the second option. Um, there's more freedom and I can be who, who I want to be or who I was made to be. Um, and I can grow in the way that I'm supposed to grow. Eesh, that's a better answer than I even expected. That's awesome. <laughs> that's fantastic. Okay. Now think about my love for you for a moment. I know you sometimes doubt it, but, but you know, that, that one. <laughs> do you feel I only love you when you do things right? Or do you think I love you even when you make mistakes? Um, yeah, what's your answer to that? How do you feel about all of that? Um, I think you, you love me differently when I make mistakes. You love me like in a way that wants me to grow, so it might seem like you might not love me as much, but That's great. it's yeah. a, a constructive love, not a um, comforting love completely. That's more mom's job. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Never thought about it that way, but that's, that's eye-opening. <laughs> this is the risky part of the evening. Oh, that's great. Yeah, it's definitely like, how do it help me to do it better next time, sort of. Yeah, fantastic. Okay. So, do you ever feel you will no longer be my child when you make a mistake? No, I don't think so, no. Yeah. Okay, think about when we discuss things and I give you advice. Um, th this is not a trick question, but do you feel that my advice is helpful uh, or do you feel that you need something else? It depends on how I'm feeling, really. <laughs> um, yeah, that's exactly right. Sometimes it's helpful and sometimes I understand, but other times it's like maybe mum will be able to tell me it better. <laughs> <laughs> or, or my friends told me something that I understand better. Or, like, you're just not coming across properly. Or something like that. But, yeah. I cannot imagine that ever being true. <laughs> <laughs> but I'll take it under advisement. It's brilliant. Now, now why, do I think, uh, why do you think I give you advice about life in general? Why, why do you think lies behind that? Because you love me. It's that constructive love that wants me to... Yeah, yeah, great stuff. Okay, and how does it make your life better knowing that I love you and that I'm in your life? Um, Apart from the fact that you have driving lessons and all of that. I know that, like, no matter what I do, there'll be someone there that will support me and that will want me to grow and that understands me on a more deeper level because we have the same personality. Um, so you know what I'm thinking and you can help me through that because you've been there before. That's all I have. This, you are ready for Oprah now. <laughs> Thank you. This is, this is awesome. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thanks, Bonis. I'm going to park this just there for a moment. I'll come back to this interview because um, I want to make a point about it. And this is serving as a bit of background for that. Before we get to that, though, I want to introduce you to an absolutely brilliant set of books that will change your life if you read them. 
So the first one is called a compendium of rules, laws, and regulations for a compliant life. So this one is volume one. What not to do. There's a volume two that says what to do. And then there's a volume three that says what else to worry about. <laughs> so I have an utter conviction that if you read these books, they will change your life. The problem is it's going to take about three years to read through them. And by the time you get to the third volume, you may start to forget what you read in the first volume. But do not worry, the second reading only takes two years. And once you've been through all three volumes about three or four times, I promise you, you'll start to remember a few of those things. And it's going to make a difference. It's really going to help you to do your life so much better. Are you feeling excited about this yet? <laughs> it sounds about as appealing as lukewarm bath water. Just doesn't do it. Utterly uninspiring. It's just not good. <laughs> Even though, of course, we may agree there's a lot of good stuff in these books. Just so that you can be at peace. Uh, this is purely for the purposes of illustration, my EA did this, the wrapping and everything else, because she wanted to be creative with this. I told her what we're going to do this morning. And she found these books in Table Dungeon. <laughs> so, even so, even so. So clearly this approach won't work. It's just too uninspiring, in spite of the fact that there's good things in these books. I mean, you, you cannot beat an inspiring title like a compendium of rules, laws, and regulations for a compliant life. Man, whew, wow. Especially in Australia, which is such a compliant, regulatory-driven society. I mean, that should actually make all of us feel hugely excited right there. But it doesn't. So imagine you are sick in bed, and someone gives you these books. Uh, we've done that. You're sick in bed and someone comes to you with a, with a set of books like that and says, look, these are the secrets of people who never get sick, uh, the secrets of a healthy life. I promise you, you're lying in bed, you're sick. I promise you, if you read this and if you apply those parts of the book that's relevant to your situation right now, that will help you become healed. You'll be better when you read this. And you're lying in bed, you're so sick that you cannot even read. And you go, what the heck do I now have to read these books? Now I have to make sure that I understand them. So there's an interpretation process that has to happen in the background. Not sure I'm going to understand all the medical terms anyway. Uh, not sure which parts of the book I should read first. And by the time I get to the part that may heal me, I'm either going to be dead or healed by myself anyway. So this approach doesn't work well. So how does that sit with you? It doesn't sit well. The problem is the book, the book just doesn't do it. The book cannot heal, cannot give you medicine, cannot take you to the doctor or to the hospital, cannot comfort you, cannot talk you through how it works, cannot help you interpret the text that you may see. The book cannot do that. But what if I had a person to help me, to give advice, a person like Jeremy, 
comes to visit and spends hours there and administers medicine. A person who's actually read all the books, made sense of them together with others, can tell me what it's all about, can even take me to the text and say, look, it's going to be really helpful for you to understand this part of the book at this time in your life right now because it pertains to your moment right now, your context, your situation. So let me take you there and I'll show you what it says and then I'll help you understand it so that you can do it. What if I had such a person? It's a bit better than this book. It works so much better. More empowering, more effective, it's life-changing. If the book is the law, then the Holy Spirit is that person. The book has value, but it's limited. And that's what Paul actually says. He says, man, yeah, yeah, I'm not saying that the law is totally void of any meaning or value. But man, the book is a dead object. But the person of Jesus that we accept as Savior... And that then opens the door for the Holy Spirit who comes into our life as our constant companion and guide and mentor and coach and comforter and helper. That is life-changing. Now, interestingly enough, the Holy Spirit will say, let me take you to the book, which in our case is the Bible. Of course he will. But it's not in a way that says... Read through the first seven genealogies that you can find in the Bible and see what sense you can make. It's not that kind of thing. It's really the Holy Spirit says, I will help you understand it. I will, make it, I will break it open with you and help you apply it in your life. I'll even give you the strength. Well, what's more, I will, I will go with you and you can ask me advice anytime you want to, like I'm doing with Ruvon. And that's why I did this interview. In the interview with Ruvon, what came out there what very clearly was it's about a person and not a book and not a set of rules. She didn't very, very quickly said, no, it's not about, I don't want the hundred rules. I really want the person because that changes lives. That's what Paul is on about here. It's about the person. The message of Galatians, if we believe in Jesus, the Holy Spirit enters into our lives. The fruit of the Spirit starts to work in our, you know, all these things that he talks about. And helps us to heal and grow and flourish by making us like Jesus. That's what, it, what Paul is on about here. However, if we trust the dead book, we are in trouble because it can only take us so far and it's very limited in its value. And you're going to get messed up if you become bogged down in this thing. That's why Paul says the law is not the way and don't add this to the mix because it will bog you down. Our lives, we, today we would be sitting here and go, yeah, whew, I'm so glad that I don't do this thing about adding the law. You know, it's adding whatever. And we have a natural human gravitation to do it. So the challenge for us is figure out what that thing is that we're adding. Or things. And take it out of the equation. That's a challenge. I, I, I dare say, I think it can only really happen that you identify that if we do it together with God. If we listen to the Holy Spirit. Lord, what is it that I'm adding? The fact that I have spiritual gifts, am I trying to add that? The fact that I'm doing some ministry work for you, do I try to add that? The fact that I don't do bad things, do I try to add that? The fact that, yeah, I'm part of a good community, do I add that? 
Now, all these things have value in and of themselves, but none of them should be part of the equation. It boils down to this uh, thing about the law versus grace. So let me use one last example as, as a second example. By the way, you're most welcome to come and buy the books off me afterwards if you really want them. If this chair, you know, let's, let's say the chair is Jesus Christ in whom salvation is found. So in order for the chair to save me, Jesus to save me, I have to trust with my full weight in this chair and sit on it so that it can fulfill its purpose in my life. In other words, so that it can carry my weight fully. That's how Jesus works. So this is Jesus. The law says, now let me explain to you how a chair works. Let me explain to you what an ergonomic chair looks like. Let me explain to you how high the chair should be for your height. Let me explain to you what fabrics you should use to make a good chair. Let me explain to you what a good posture is if you sit on a chair. Let me explain to you how far it should be from your desk for the best performance. I can read all that and it has benefit. Or I can trust that God knows what perfect chair to give me for my life. And it's as if God comes and says, look, I found the perfect chair for you. I know you. I've made you. So I found the perfect chair. You don't have to worry about the distances or the height or anything like that, the fabrics or anything like that. It's already perfect for you. Just trust it fully. That's what this is about. Then I can sit with it because I trust the one that says, this is the perfect chair for you. I know about these chairs because at one stage we had to find a chair for a staff member. It took three goes before we got the right chair. <laughs> It's just really funny. Anyway, so that's how the law versus grace works. This is how the law versus Jesus Christ, in whom grace is personified, works. It boils down to this whole thing of position and condition again, which I've shared here before, but let me remind you. I call it the position condition secret. From the moment of rebirth or salvation, God looks at me in a different way. Because from that moment on, He sees me through Jesus Christ. When you think about John 1, 12, uh, when I accept, when I take Jesus on, basically, as if He's a garment or a cloak. You know, who covers me from that moment onwards? Jesus. And so what this basically say, says is, from that moment of salvation, I'm clothed in Jesus. And when God looks at me like that, He sees only Jesus that covers me. It's as if God is suddenly wearing glasses called Jesus. And so when He looks at me, He sees Jesus, not me. Which is a bit of a, ooh, this is, this is a heavy thought if you really think about it. It has these implications if we take it further. It says Jesus was perfect. His sacrifice on the cross was perfect. And so when God looks at me, He sees me as 100% as well. From that moment onwards. That's justification. That's that past tense salvation thing that we talked about, that Galatians is, uh, talks about. And that's done once and for all. 
this raises that interesting theological conundrum that has kept people busy for over 2,000 years. Once saved, always saved. Man, I've got 80 pages of research on this thing and we still haven't probed it to any kind of depth. So that's, there's a gray area there that I don't fully understand and that I don't think any theologian does. That's why the debate has been going on for 2,000 years. I'm not going to go into that. I truly believe this, though. So it's interesting. If, if, if Rouvon grows up and she goes to America and she blows up the Empire State's building, she doesn't stop being my child, but now there's a problem. Because she'll be caught and she'll be taken to jail. And we call that this whole thing of condition. Because what happens when I look at myself, I see that I'm far from 100%. It's as if I'm sick in bed and the sickness is called sin. God says, I want you to become healed. The more healed you are, the more you can enjoy life fully, abundantly with me, your father. The less you will be in bed. That's why it's important to get sin out of our life. So that we're no longer sick and struggling and suffering because of that nonsense. But when I look at myself, I see I'm still sick. That's our condition because I still make mistakes. I still wrestle with previous habits. I still struggle to grow. There should always be something we struggle with anyway, in the sense that God is always busy making us more like Jesus. So what is the thing that God is currently busy with in our lives to challenge us on? That should cause struggle. There should be something. If there's nothing, it means we're in cruise mode, not in change mode. God wants to use us to change the world, not to cruise through the world. Big difference. We call this condition, and it still has to grow and improve towards my what my position already. So, once again, Empire State's building. So, Ravon does not stop being my child, but she is in a terrible condition because she's now in jail. That's how this thing works. So, righteousness means that God puts us in that position because of Jesus. That's what Galatians says. Condition, this whole thing of growing. There's also this element in Galatians about continue to grow by the power of the Holy Spirit as your coach and mentor and so on so that you can become more like Jesus. So that the fruit of the Spirit can be abundantly clear through your life. That's sanctification. That's, that's about condition. In theology, we call that sanctification. So last words. There's the equation again. It's just absolutely, absolutely brilliant. Jesus, Jesus Christ plus nothing equals everything. I think this is God's equation for an abundant life, flourishing life. Shalom life. I just have to put that word in there at least once. It's exciting. It's empowering. It's liberating. It sets us free. I mean, even that text that we read in Galatians talks about we've been called for freedom. God is setting us free through all of this. Life of freedom. Don't settle for anything less because nothing else comes close. There's just nothing else. We overburden ourselves tremendously if we add anything to the equation. It makes it so impossible to do that we despair and become despondent and then bog down and do nothing. A person depressed is not an active person. And then gratefully embrace the Holy Spirit as the person that brings life rather than the law as a dead book. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's pray together.
Lord, thank you that we could share these thoughts, that we could stand still and listen to you speak into our hearts and minds. I don't know which part of this message is intended for each of us, but we want to pray, Lord, that you would help us meditate, chew over that which you intend for us so that it will have the desired effect in our life. I pray that this word would be like yeast causing something to rise in us. May your will be done with this. In the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for Jesus. Thank you that Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Absolutely an amazing equation. We thank you for all of this in the name of Jesus. And then lastly, Lord, I want to pray and say thank you for Burnside Family Church. Looking back, I want to thank you personally for, for the tremendous effect that this church and this community had on our lives as we established in Adelaide. And I want to say thank you and commend them to you, Lord, for the ongoing work they're doing, the work of the kingdom, the work of changing lives and people and environments. The work of flourishing people and places and spaces. Pray that you would empower them, Holy Spirit. I pray that they would do so from this absolutely secure platform of Jesus having justified each of them. And this I pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.